This week on the show, we have three advantages to running FreeBSD as your server OS for you. FreeBSD 14 release schedule is what we take a look at. We have some solutions on how to stream your OpenBSD desktop audio. A DoD KSOS secure Unix operating system manual from the good old days. How to limit the bandwidth usage with SCTP transfers and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 519, Telegram from BSD Now, recorded on the 19th of July, 2023. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow, find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. And we thank you in advance for that. Hi, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Welcome, everyone. We have been, before the show uh, was recorded, comparing our local temperatures. And we found that, well, Tom and I have an 8 degree, that's Celsius, everyone, uh, 8 degree difference. So, you know what's even hotter than our places? The headlines this week, of course. I had to do this, wow. right? Ah, that was oh, tough, right? I see, why you I see why you didn't tell me this joke in advance. Uh, that was terrible. The intro parts are the best part it's of the just show. just start. <laughs> Clara Systems has an article about three advantages to running FreeBSD as your server operating system. And they start with that there are several reasons why it's important to look at alternative operating systems, particularly open source ones. Firstly, open source operating systems tend to be more customizable and configurable compared to proprietary operating systems. This allows users to have more control over their system and to tailor it to their specific needs. Another important reason to look at alternative operating systems is to avoid the vendor lock-in. Proprietary operating systems often come bundled with specific hardware or software, which can limit the flexibility of the user. There really is a section, what is FreeBSD here? I can kindly skip over this, I hope, and go to advantage number one. For those who still don't know, they will find all this in the show notes where we link to this article and you can read that first bit. Advantage number one, integration with OpenZFS. OpenZFS is a robust and powerful file system that enables many advanced and innovative features. Unlike operating systems, which merely take OpenZFS available as a plug-in, FreeBSD has fully integrated OpenZFS as its premier file system. This means that FreeBSD's OpenZFS is fully supported from the bootstrap code that loads the bootloader through to the operating system utilities. FreeBSD has supported booting directly from ZFS for more than 10 years. Oh, wow, I didn't know it's been that long, but it's good. Um, its bootloader, kernel, and entire root file system may all be hosted on a ZFS pool without requiring a separate boot file system or init RAM file system. This support enables one of the FreeBSD's most powerful features, boot environments. OpenZFS is both a volume manager and a file system and provides pooled storage. This means that the system can have unlimited number of file systems, all sharing the same storage volume and free space. With snapshots and clones, it becomes possible to have multiple versions of the root file systems. Uh, full, yeah, full root file system. <clears throat> then they have a section about uh, what is a boot environment, and they go a bit deeper into that, as well as uh, ZFS integration, where they talk a little bit about 
when that started in FreeBSD 2014, to be exact, with the release of FreeBSD 10. And they describe a little bit um, what's involved there. But let's jump a little bit ahead. Oh, they even have some uh, Zistat uh, schedule or Zistat output where you can uh, display these ZFS arc statistics like hit rate and uh, other cool uh, information like prefetch uh, metadata information and stuff. But let's go to advantage number two. Custom packaging is the one. FreeBSD has long been renowned for its ports collection, a package building infrastructure that keeps over 30,000 applications available on multiple versions of the operating system. FreeBSD ports are the source code which, uh, which its packages are built from, but users may also directly compile and install code from the ports tree themselves. By making use of the ports tree and not just the pre-compiled system packages from PKG, a FreeBSD user can easily customize the built-in parameters of the application, adding and removing support for additional features and controlling the dependency list. FreeBSD builds its official pre-compiled packages using a tool called Pudrayer, which is French for powder keg, the name of the previous tool it replaced. And uh, Pudrayer itself uses a number of interesting techniques and many of FreeBSD's core features to offer a great deal of flexibility. It builds each package in a clean container with only the base operating system and declared dependencies installed and no network access allowed. Between each build, the container is restored to a pristine state using a ZFS snapshot, allowing quick turnover without any remnants behind. More about that in this particular advantage, but let's go to number three. Advantage number three is the fleet management. Oh, I didn't expect that, but let's hear us out. One of the most powerful advantages of FreeBSD is the ability for a small team to manage tremendous scale. FreeBSD combines very strong fundamental building blocks with flexible and customizable frameworks to create infrastructure that scales without adding complexity. Almost two and a half decades of experience with containers combined with 15 years of integrated ZFS have given FreeBSD conspicuous lead in making a more manageable, better documented architecture for large-scale operations. Combining this long organizational experience with the unusually strong separation of the operating system components from the application software, FreeBSD provides its users a stable base to build upon while still delivering continuous innovation and cutting-edge features. FreeBSD has always been designed with large infrastructure in mind. Practices such as splitting the configuration files into fragments with local overrides and structured configuration with the UCL, which is the Universal Configuration Language, helps FreeBSD keep site-wide operations separate from machine-specific configs, easing automation and making upgrades and replacement much less arduous. And even a small team can manage a massive infrastructure fleet and provide outsized value to the organization by using ZFS boot environments and any of the fleet orchestration tools to manage and upgrade OS images and containers. For example, Netflix OCA server operations team is made up of as few as 10 people or less than that, yet manages many thousands of the servers which stream video to its customers. And they conclude with... Uh, FreeBSD is a compelling and cutting-edge operating system that provides a wealth of features and advantages. FreeBSD's deep open ZFS integration, completely customizable packaging, and the ability to manage a huge fleet with a small team make it a clear contender for consideration in your next infrastructure build. And if you need some expert and bespoke FreeBSD support, Clara can provide that, and you have the recipe for high-performance, long-maintained, and long-lived infrastructure. And our fellow co-author or long-time author Alan Jude wrote this article so definitely check out the full thing okay cool so I Bennett did you say FreeBSD has been unlucky recently in what way I, I don't think so I don't think FreeBSD has been unlucky 
coming now, we have an updated release schedule for FreeBSD 14, which means FreeBSD will finally get to move away from the three, the 13 series. And no, it was no bad luck. It was actually fine. Oh, it was a lucky lucky set of FreeBSD releases. Um, maybe not so lucky has been the, the 14 release schedule, which has been delayed slightly, but this has allowed the FreeBSD project to include such excellent things as OpenSSL 3, which will hopefully not go end of life during the support lifetime of uh, FreeBSD 14, mm-hmm. and improved OpenZFS. Um, as we record today on the 19th of July, in two days uh, on the schedule, there's going to be a release announcement. And then at the start of August, we enter the code slush and the KBI freeze. So this is where the developers are told to stop doing things, apart from good things. Um, basically, development will stop that. Will, yeah. Basically, development will slow down here and we will try to stop breaking stuff so we can stabilize out the release. This leads up to the stable 14 branching point, which should happen on the 18th of August. And then we'll go through a long stabilization phase, hopefully leading to a release on the 20th of October, followed by a press release three days later. Um, There have been delays to this, and there are normally delays in here, so we might be looking more at the start of of November, but it's always good to see. It looks like a good schedule. Let's hope the FreeBSD project hits it. Yeah, we'll see. There may be some additional uh, release candidates, but no one knows that at this point. There are room for three release candidates. So we should have a release on the 20th of October. (laughs) Software is sort of notorious for for not arriving. Yeah, right. Or being ready when it's ready, right? Not when someone says it's ready. (laughs) Or at a specific date. Once the 14 release rolls around, there will be um, a very long update here on BSD Now, and you'll get to find out what is in the release and all the cool stuff which has sneaked in over the last two years of development. Yeah, that, that would be a lucky day. I guess a lot of people will look forward to that, and um, building blocks uh, for that are in place already. And I know a lot of people, I'm not installing a .0 release. But, well, eventually you have to because then you can jump to what's next, 14.1. I just like to get all my stuff off 12. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That has been (laughs) even longer in the making. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because then we will cut the 12.4 or the 12 uh, line and we can focus on the remaining bits of 13 and, of course, 14 and onwards. So, yeah, that's uh, what we are doing over the, you know, summer and uh, early autumn, ideally. And so uh, we will check back if there's something new. The news roundup has some interesting stuff from Celine. Uh, because she's been writing an article, uh, many of them she already did, but this one is about streaming your OpenBSD desktop audio to other devices. Ah, let's see what that does. Sounds interesting. So uh, she writes, introduction. Hi, back from OpenBSD desktop. I miss being able to use my Bluetooth headphones, especially the shocks, uh, ones that allow me to listen to music without anything on my ears. Uh, Unfortunately, OpenBSD doesn't have a Bluetooth stack, but I have a smartphone and a few other computers. So why not stream my desktop sound to another device with Bluetooth? Let's see what we can do. 
Uh, I'll often refer to the monitor input source, which is the name of an input that provides what you hear from your computer. And while it would be easy to just allow a remote device to play music files, I want to stream the computer's monitor input. So it could be literally anything and not just music files. Okay. This method can be used on any Linux distro and certainly on other BSDs, but I will only cover OpenBSD. Okay. The first, uh, the different solutions. Uh, the first is uh, IceCast. One simple setup is to use IceCast, the program used by most web radios, and ISIS, <laughs> and companion program to IceCast, ah, okay, in order to stream your monitor input to the network. Uh, she lists as pros. It works with anything that can read uh, OGG from the network. Any serious audio client or web browser can do it. It's easy to set up. You can have multiple clients at once, and it's secure. IceCast is in its root, and other components are sending data or playing music. Okay, the cons, however, are that there is a rough 10 second uh, delay which prevents you from watching a video on your computer and listening the audio from another device. You could still set a uh, 10 second offset, but that's not constant. So hmm. re-encoding happens, uh, which can slightly reduce the sound quality if you are able to tell the difference. Then there's the SND IOD. Um, a possible solution, the default sound server in OpenBSD named uh, SND IOD supports network streaming. Too bad if you want to use Bluetooth as an output, you would have to run SND IOD on Linux, which is perfectly fine, but you can't use Bluetooth with SND IOD, even on Linux. Hmm. So no SND IOD. Um, between OpenBSD or OpenBSD and Linux, it works perfectly well without latency and it's a super simple setup, but as Bluetooth can't be used, I won't cover this setup. Pros are easy to set up and they work fine. The cons is no Android support. Okay, then there's Pulse Audio. Uh, this sound server is available as a port on OpenBSD and has two streaming nodes, or modes, more like native protocol, TCP, and RTP. The former is exchanging Pulse Audio internet protocol from one server to another, which isn't ideal and prone to problems over a bad network. The latter is uh, being more efficient and resilient. However, RTP Sender doesn't work on OpenBSD, and I have no interest in finding out why. The bug doesn't seem to be straightforward. Okay, but the native protocol works just fine. So she lists only pros here and says uh, almost no latency, may depend on the network and remote hardware, and easy to set up. Okay, then she lists uh, Snapcast, uh, which is an amazing piece of software that you can use to broadcast your audio toward multiple other clients using Snapcast or a web page with a twist that the audio will be synchronized on each client allowing a multi-room setup at no cost. Unfortunately, I've not been able to build it on OpenBSD. Hmm. The pros, however, are the multi-room setup with synchronized clients, compatible, compatible with almost any client, able to display an HTML5 page, with the cons uh, being uh, playback latency and not so easy to set up. Okay, so she has now uh, decided to describe the Pulse Audio setup, and maybe that will get us somewhere. So she describes that in detail for each of them, starting with Pulse Audio, which includes some FFmpeg calls with, with a bunch of uh, parameters. Then she gets the server setup going. Then there's IceCast as an alternative, uh, starting also with the server part and then the broadcast part. And at the very bottom, so it's a longer uh, description. I won't go into all of the details here, but you can find them on the show notes. Uh, she lists the limitation, of course, that the setup isn't ideal. You can't use your headset microphone or buttons using MPRIS protocol. And concludes with, with these two setups, you have a choice of occasionally streaming your audio to another device, which may have Bluetooth support or something making it interesting enough to go through the setup. 
personally happy to be able to use Bluetooth headphones through my smartphone to listen to my OBSD desktop sound. She has a sixth point going further. If you want to directly attach Bluetooth headphones to your OpenBSD, you can buy a USB dongle that will pair to the headphones and appear as a sound card to OpenBSD. Or someone finds out how to compile that one thing that didn't uh, compile, the Snapcast. That would probably create some more solutions. But definitely or, interesting. Or, or and I know this is really out there, but someone could add back into OpenBSD enough Bluetooth support to do Bluetooth audio, but nothing else. Ooh, yeah, well, okay, that's certainly... Because they, they they killed it, right, because it was... Insecure? Bluetooth is pretty awful. Bluetooth, I mean, genuinely mm. is pretty awful. That doesn't stop a lot of people from using it. OpenBSD users do want to listen mm. to techno, and, and maybe there is some way to run this... Um, via uh, like a hardware extraction extraction layer abstraction layer into user space or like maybe there's a shortcut through this to get to a2dp but having myself looked at implementing a2dp on freebsd before we had it um this is an awful minefield but if somebody likes a challenge it might be fun to do okay so that's audio and networking it would make like just networking no, it's just well, i mean bluetooth is networking. yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> it's a personal yeah. area network remember 2005 when that was cool uh, that yeah way back when <laughs> we moved on <laughs> but i mean i mean yeah fixing the other stuff would probably lower hanging fruit the definite like siffy siffy task would be trying to get bluetooth accepted into OpenBSD mm-hmm. again just to do audio but also, people have done crazier things. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's just a technical Maybe problem. Maybe it's not worth a trade. Yeah, it might also be an acceptance problem. It is just, it's just right. It's just a small, simple matter of <laughs> yeah. code. If, yeah, if that's solution <laughs> to everything, then I'm by all means all in. <laughs> okay, next up, we have a post from the Unix Historical Society, um, TUHS. DOD, K, SOS, Secure Unix Operating System Manual and Final Report. Matt G writes, as promised in the other email, I had one other tidbit worth sharing with some detail on, but that is very different from WECO promo information and informational material. What I've got here are two documents pertaining to the Department of Defense Kernelized Secure Operating System Project as undertaken by Ford's Western Development Laboratories Division. The documents in question are here, they're on .mil sites, um, and represent the user's manuals and final rule support, respectively, f- on the KSOS system. These appear to be from the same microfiche as the documents linked based on splotches on the last page's date frame, although the copies I have here are the full frame and PDFs linked seem to have the last panel cropped to a small square in the middle. Not super significant, but sometimes it's in the little details. Anywho... Unfortunately, I don't have much to report. I got a bit excited while looking for these at first because I was having a hard time turning up PDFs, though I I thought I had stumbled upon something unseen for some time, but in the gulf between my last email and this, I found them. Silver lining is one less set of documents to scan, but nothing to really expose that isn't already a click away. I have no context for what these are and I didn't look. Um, But I do have microfiche I'd like to scan, and if anyone could explain how to scan microfiche, that'd be a great piece of feedback because I've got VMS4 and VMS5 Ooh. on microfiche and the up, update patches, and I would like to scan hmm. them. 
just to see if they're different from the ones that exist. But the one microfiche reader I've ever seen, I tried to acquire, and the person who had it said it was his what for his wife. And I didn't ask more questions. But it'd be cool, cool uh, to get hold of. Maybe I, can... I was yeah, just I bit, I'm always a bit hesitant to click on links that have dot mil in the uh, you know, top level domain, but what could possibly go wrong? I uh, know these one. I, I clicked and it just says the missiles are coming. <laughs> yeah, just for my house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, at least they let me finish the recording for oh, this, this one. Oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, these are definitely scans. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, cool. uh, obviously, what they dig up uh, as historical artifacts like they do. Uh, this next one is from a blog that I found. Uh, first, uh, I looked for something completely different, as I do. And then I found this one and found that the archive has some pretty good stuff for about FreeBSD, not not only FreeBSD, but definitely something worth noting. So I will, uh, or we will probably couple, uh, <laughs> cover a couple of those in the near future. But this one here is from Herb Bischoff's uh, blog uh, about how to limit bandwidth usage for SCP transfers. So uh, that goes by default. SCP tries to grab as much bandwidth as possible for transfers. On an ADSL line without bandwidth shaping, this has an unintended side effect of fully saturating the line, in effect blocking any other connection. Today I learned to limit SCP bandwidth. Turns out there's a built-in flag, dash L, for limit. And uh, Manpage has uh, a short but um, fitting description, limit the or limits the used bandwidth specified in kilobits per second. So in practice, this means SCP minus L, 8,500 in this case, uh, server colon and then slash path to file and then dot. The above example yields uh, download at one megabyte per second. Yeah. I, I had a different comment, but I'm going to start with this one. This is cool. Mm, I didn't right? know this existed. By by default, TCP, which is how SCP is moving the bit the bits around, tries to be TCP fair, that is to say it tries to determine its fair share of the available yeah. network capacity as, as, as equally divided among mm. all network users. Um, but yeah, it will also just try to go as fast as it can, which is its fair share. It's cool that you can put in this artificial limit. It'd be much cooler if you could get it to use different congestion controls oh, so it yeah. would only use, so it would be like something like Leadbat where it would back off really extremely as soon as there was any congestion, so it would not overload the Does the SFTP has this limit this cool. uh, thingy? Oh, yeah, dash L as, to, as well. I don't know, like, SCP's, SCP's meant to yeah. be dead as well. And I'm also suggesting like, to use SFTP what, what more, but it doesn't have auto-completion. Uh, but different <laughs> problem for me. <laughs> SFTP doesn't have auto-completion, so you don't use Yeah, it. when I'm in the FTP mode, and then you... Does does SFTP have to use different ports for, for uh, and receive, or is it sensible? no? I don't think that's no. It's all over. Yeah, the they port use 22. the standard. Okay. Yeah, which is which is the um, the good part about it, besides being secure. Can you can you imagine writing a firewall book today and not having to dedicate just the first for two chapters on uh, FTP? It's just uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> what a trash who in the, the first place writes a fire okay talking of the past <laughs> yeah, who, who, sorry what sorry benedict let's talk over you <laughs> yeah no, no i was just thinking who's writing a firewall book these days and peter yeah someone else could write a firewall book the, the, the operating system folks with three firewalls in them what would anyway. happen if somebody but what would happen uh, yeah okay sorry speaking of the past here is uh, uh a screenshot of oracle solaris 
from the very old May 25th, 2023, um, running in a virtual machine, but they don't say what. <gasps> There's more than one screenshot. <gasps> it's just Amazing. gnome. It's just gnome. Um, <laughs> so we have a post on um, slash R Unix on that, that Reddit from the one and only Thomas. Um, Oracle Solaris 14.4 running in a virtual machine. 14.4 came out on the 25th of May this year, so this is not particularly old. Um, this has made me wonder what on earth people use Solaris for, and looking up Solaris to find out how old this was, um, I see it still runs on Power and, and Spark. So I really wonder where it's being used. Mm. Yeah, kind of had its day. Uh, the comments are... It's definitely niche. Yeah. It, I just don't know how niche it is, but it's cool. Maybe some people want to reminisce some time in the good old days when Solaris... Oh, here's someone. Solaris 2.5.1 was the last of the good times. But this isn't the good old times, Benedict. This is the current no, times. No, yeah, yeah. It's, this it's is Solaris modern. today. You could install yeah, this and but, play a modern video game like Doom. Yeah, if only <laughs> that would be possible, then I'm happy with any operating system. I don't system. think Doom Eternal is built for this. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, we're staying a little bit on the historic side, but more on the celebratory side. This is about the FreeBSD journals. Uh, special edition, uh, which Tom and I were somewhat involved in, uh, of the FreeBSD Foundation's FreeBSD Journal. And we put out a special edition, very special print edition, and handed that out at BSDCAN. And are we also doing that for other conferences, like EuroBSDCon? We Probably got a lot of these printed, so they will be yeah. at BSD conferences for the next year. And then okay. if you don't have one, you'll probably never be able to get one. All I will sell you on eBay in four years' time for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Excellent choice. Retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there is definitely uh, worth every issue, but this one is especially good because we have a lot of people from way back when who've been around uh, from the 30 years and counting uh, who could tell stories from how it all started and how it got to where we are and the stories they never told anyone yet. And this is the issue and since it's free everyone can get to it and i'll definitely recommend you start reading that because uh, there's plenty of good stuff in there yeah it's it's really really good stories from the, the early history of freebsd and why things started and why things are the way they are and how um contributors in the beginning we're working on the project and it was it was great fun to put together as mm. part of this I, and i've talked about it a ton over the last year um i installed freebsd1 on a 386 which is it's just here I think if i slap yeah. it not here anymore um <laughs> but yeah it's a really great issue uh, i read all of it on the flight back from bsd can uh, partly because it was in print um and i didn't want to look at a computer anymore uh, but partly <laughs> just for how compelling the stories were um i really enjoyed hearing I really enjoyed Hiroki Sato's um, story on the history of Unix and BSD in Japan and, and what the future for that looks like. Um, and Paul mm. Henningkamp has a great article. Uh, it, was, it was really great to read. Yeah, so it may sound old and boring, but it definitely is not because, hey, it's been around for that long and proves how stable and resilient that all is. And it has to start somewhere. So these are the backstories. Okay, yep. last in the Beastie Bits, we have a tweet, which seems very anachronistic to me now, um, from Colin Percival, and it is a thread, which I, I have a screenshot of, because I swear I wouldn't load the thread. Um, some ways you can contribute to open source software without writing code. One, 
write documentation. People who write code are often terrible at documenting it because they know too much and have trouble putting themselves in the shoes of a novice. Two, use the software and write blog posts, tweets, etc. about it. People who write code are often terrible at marketing it because their primary concern was scratching their own itch. Many people use inferior software simply because they don't know about better options. Uh, if you want to start the BSD Unix TikTok, I'm all about it, but I'll never look at it. It will just uh, go through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Email the developers. People who write code often have no idea how it is being used or if it is being used at all. A simple thank you for a simple thanks for writing foo. I'm using it to do bar can be very encouraging. Four, attend conferences. People who write code often give talks about their work at open source conferences. And without audiences, those conferences can't pay the bills. Both registration fees and sponsor dollars scale with audience size. Five, send cash. Yes, please. And or get your employer to send cash. People who write code are often not doing it as their day job. Or even if they are, they're probably juggling multiple priorities. A few dollars can go a long way to say, this is what I'd prefer that you focus on. Six, report bugs. As mentioned earlier, people who write code often scratching one particular itch. Using their software in different ways will tend to reveal issues which never affected them. Sometimes they won't care since it doesn't affect their use case, but often it will. Seven, join mailing lists, RSC channels, web forums, etc. where the software is discussed. People who write software will often spend time providing unpaid technical support for it. But if you can answer questions before they do, then they can spend more time writing code. Eight, read the source. People who write software often have trouble seeing their mistakes and typos. Same issue as with proofreading text. Reading the code can be much easier than writing it, Perl notwithstanding. And saying, hey, this looks weird can be incredibly helpful. Nine, if you know a language which the original developer don't, put up a website in your language. Let people know that if they have questions, you can help them in their language or translate questions for the original developers to answer. I'm sure there's a lot more, but it's getting late, so I'll stop with one last observation. In my 20 years of contributing to FreeBSD, I've met lots of people who can't code and some who shouldn't, but I don't think I've ever met a FreeBSD user who is incapable of contributing. Yeah, very well done. Very good. Something for everyone. And yeah, perfect uh, to hand out or to tell people, I can't code. Well, um, this is a new section that our producer JT put in. Both Tom and I had no idea about this until we read it here. Uh, there is a BSD Now Telegram channel now. So uh, we now have a new BSD Now Telegram channel, he wrote as a description, uh, that anyone can join. Conversations don't have to just be about the show. It could be anything BSD, Unix, or Unix-related in general is fair game. And that's https t.me slash BSD Now. Uh, we'll, we're... We're not sure how this goes and how much we can uh, join that, but uh, let's start this and see where it all goes. So at least you have a way to reach out to other BSD Now listeners and maybe us occasionally. Great. Frequently throughout the show, and especially today, I've said things like, you should write in and tell us this, or as Common just said, mm -hmm. one way to contribute back to open source. And one way to contribute back to this podcast is to send us questions. And luckily, this week, two people have sent in questions. And the first one has come from Johnny, and it is 512. Hi, fellas. This has got to be the coolest episode ever. I really enjoyed it since I will probably never be able to attend a conference, so it's very much appreciated. Anyway, did you fellas know that Dragonfly BSD has code bounties for new features? I stumbled across them, so maybe they could be a topic for the show. 
They need stuff like the hit daemon and UTF-8 in the console and many other things that we in FreeBSD just take for granted. I guess it's not major news, but I was surprised since some of these have been on the list for a few years. Yep, five, episode 512 kilobytes will be very memorable and welcome JT2. I can't wait for episode 1024 KB. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> oh, uh, dear, I, that's... I, we get quite upset, Johnny, out. when you, you think about far into the future. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I didn't know about the bounties. I, I don't know if so they're is still that, valid. Cool. I know individual developers do that for uh, stuff really? like Colin mentioned earlier, um, where they can't afford time on FreeBSD without getting sponsors in certain ways. Um, okay. But on Dragonfly, that was new to me. Okay, well, maybe we cover some of those uh, if something happens in dragonfly because of the bounties uh then we could cover those we would actually like a bit more news about dragonfly bsd if you have uh something that we kind of missed or follow this more closely than we do then let us know uh to feedback at bsdnow.tv because we will also try to cover the broad range of bsds that are out there at, at this rate by episode 1024 every host will be called jt yeah, I have to change names. I have to get married, get uh, take her names, and uh, whatever happens. Genedict Troisling. It, it sounds no good, problem. right? Perfect. We will all be JTs. The confusion will be to the maximum, and it, but it's easy for you. You just write hi JT, and it will always hit the right person. Um, but nevertheless, we have another one uh, from Matthew about episode five twelve as well. So. That goes. I just wanted to tell you guys after two to the power of nine episodes, you guys still put on a great podcast. Great job. Thank you. We like that you still like this. Um, I'm celebrating by listening to the podcast from the very beginning. Oh, that, oh, oh don't do that. that you hurt yourself. <laughs> listen. <laughs> Stretch Even before you back listen. In the, <laughs> <laughs> Even back in the early episodes, you guys had a focus on quality. Thank you. Yeah, that, I mean, I wasn't around then i was a mere listener back then as well but that's how alan started from his other podcast i guess he took over that quality level and yeah we still try to maintain that even with broken minds mics occasionally so how long would all the audio put together be from all the episodes to like 512 oh, it, it, no. it must be approximately 500 hours yeah so if yeah, episodes year. typically forty-five minutes, roughly, more or less. It's not a year. And then five twelve. Yeah, my multiplication's broken in my brain. That's um, the that's the marathon. Not that long. I mean, if you just <laughs> listen to it nonstop, you probably get quite sick of us. Um, yeah, or even just the interviews, the special <laughs> ones. <laughs> There's a, there was there is yeah I think there still is a radio show called Off the Hook. Um, which goes out um, in New York City and it's about technology. And someone listened to it, listened to all of it while they illustrated a series of comic books. And yeah, um, yeah I think they were a bit confused by the end of it. But yeah, it, it sounded like a great way to spend that time. I definitely think if you needed to paint a, like the entirety of the outside of a big house, it'd be great listening. Oh, yeah, like a, a whole big project and you don't want to get bored watching paint dry. Then by all <laughs> means, put us into your ears. <laughs> they don't paint the fourth road bridge anymore, uh, rail bridge anymore. But if they did, they'd be, they could just listen to the podcast forever because they'd paint the bridge and by the time they got to the end, they'd have to start again. Yeah. 
because the rust sets in and it's not just for the color it's also for protect against the weather and all these i hear at least as much as i know about bridge with more rust yeah oh yeah more rust content excellent (laughs) (laughs) sidetrack here (laughs) bsd now is sponsored by tarsnap everyone needs backups and tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe but also secure your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud you can be sure that only you have the ability to read your data tarsnap takes your data and works out what is duplicated so that band and then assembles the data into compressed blocks and creates them with your local private key and this key never leaves your system the data is then uploaded into the cloud even if someone is able to obtain your data in the cloud they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files Tarsnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use Tarsnap. Tarsnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. Tarsnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code and make sure it does what we say it does. And Tarsnap has bug bounties, so that if you find errors in the code, you can get paid for helping make the software better. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse not to have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more. What else do we have? Nothing on this one? Yeah, okay. Then it's the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. And <laughs> yeah, well, what else can I say? Uh, we have another one next week. And yeah, enjoy the summer over there, wherever you are, if you have summer. Enjoy the winter if you have winter. That too, yeah. Enjoy the, the season. That's enjoy, season. enjoy the weather. <laughs> enjoy the weather with blankets. Exactly. Me. That's more neutral. 